check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Welcome to another edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. I am Keith Niebuhr with Auburn Undercover and 24-7 Sports, and I'm joined by, uh, gosh, I don't know. what. It was. How do you want to be introduced, Philip? Senior Emeritus, uh, Philip Marshall Esquire. What do you think? I usually just say columnist these days. Columnist Philip Marshall. Uh, columnist. Senior emeritus, uh, uh, senior senior editor emeritus, old man, whatever. <laughs> well, old we man got look, probably the best way to put it. We got Philip Marshall, who, who reminds me all the time that he's old, and I don't think he's that old. But with age comes knowledge, and Philip's got a lot of that. And we're going to talk about a lot of things today, Philip. You know, obviously Auburn season is scheduled to start. You know, provided there's no hitches here, September 26th at home against Kentucky. But before we talk about the Auburn Tigers, we got to address kind of the elephant in the room, which is the Big Ten restarting. Uh, you know, they weren't going to play until next year. Now they're going to play starting in October. And, and it sounds like the Pac-12 isn't far behind. I just want to get your general thoughts on that. Do you harbor as a, as a college football fan, you know, any any ill will toward the Big Ten for this? Or are you just glad they're they're restarting? No, I don't have any ill will. I wouldn't have any ill will if they didn't play. Uh, I I, I think their mistake was, to me, I think they made a couple mistakes. Let's face it, you know, uh, as a columnist wrote back at the start of all this, uh, that the Big Ten is the conscience of college football. Uh, to me, that's a lot of arrogance is what that is. And uh, I think they really thought that when they said they weren't going to play, everybody else was just going to jump in line and get behind them. And uh, – and then that didn't happen. Uh, to me, their biggest mistake was was not just saying uh, we're going to give it some time. Do what the SEC did, uh, and and uh, see what happened. Because that was what August seventh uh, or eleventh. August eleventh, wasn't it? When they announced yeah. they weren't. Yeah, wasn't that long uh, ago? Yeah. Uh, give it some time and see what happens. As it turns out, they could have been. Pre- much better prepared, uh, could have started a little earlier. Not, but what they're doing now, eight games with no with no flexibility, uh, they'll have to be really lucky uh, for that to work, I think. It's because that's uh, – um, you see all the postponements so far. But I will say this. Most, most of the issues seem to be – with teams that are, as far as postponements I'm talking about now, or cancellations, seem to be with lower-level teams that, 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 let's face it, don't don't have enough money to do the testing and the contact tracing and all the things these, the Power Five conferences can do. So, uh, you know, I'm not expecting to see a bunch of SEC games be, be postponed or canceled. Now, you may see some that are really, really ugly uh, because – Teams are short on players, but I, I don't, I don't see a team losing so many players that they, that they say, well, they, they just don't have enough to play. I don't see that happening. But I, I think the Big Ten's biggest mistake was just not giving it time to begin with. I, and 
not not thinking they had to make a decision, a final decision on August the 11th. And now it's made them look kind of something bad somehow. Uh, I don't know. But, well, all right, but Philip, the, the big question, I guess, now is, okay, so they're going to play. So suppose a team – goes eight and low or seven and one in the big 10 and then wins that ninth game or whatever that, that weird thing they've got set up. But is that enough? I mean, an sec team potentially could play 10 plus an sec championship game. That's 11, you know, as ACC, some of them are going to play 11. Obviously North Carolina's got a cancellation, so they're back down to 10 games, but is that enough for the big 10 or do to, to, to stake a claim to a spot in the playoff? Or do we really just need to say we can't decide right now? Look, if there's a dominant team in that league, we got to get them in the playoff. Or is it – do we need to know right now? But is it, is it cut and dry? It, well, in my opinion, it's not enough. Uh, but I don't have any doubt that, that specifically uh, if Ohio State goes 9-0, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be in the playoff. I don't, I don't have any question about that. I, 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 the problem I have with the whole system is that, uh, you know, everybody ought to start even. And, and when I say even, I mean even. And I mean not because of who you got back or how many five stars you have or, or whatever else. None of that ought to matter. The only thing that ought to matter, in my opinion, and I hate the word I test. I hate it. The object of the game is to win, not to look good. Uh, and and I, I think that uh, it ought to be just dependent on what happens, whoever the team is. And and it's hard for me to see that in a normal situation, you could get in, play a two fewer games than your competition did. But but I have no doubt, specifically if it's Ohio State, I have no, no doubt that they'll be in the playoffs. Yeah, it doesn't seem, and, I, and I'm not going to make a, a call one way or the other. I, I need to see these teams. I, I'm a little different. In that regard, but I, I it, you know, you're right. I mean, you're you're playing fewer games, and you can't just assume a win over anybody these days. We've seen too many upsets. You know, Philip, the first game of the season every year, the first weekend of the season, people have these snap judgments on Twitter and think they've got the whole season figured out, and upsets happen. So we can't assume if Ohio State plays nine games, and that they would win two extra games. I mean, a middle of the road right, team, in the, a middle of the road team in the Big Ten can beat you. Right. You know, right. no, you can't right. assume. That they'd win, but just you, as you, but you're, you're right. You're right about the assumptions. But here, here's where my issue comes in, Keith. I mean, the assumptions are. I mean, I've already sent my Heisman ballot in for Spencer Rattler. I mean, since he got a gazillion yards against Missouri State. Uh, but <laughs> serious, no. But uh, uh, it's just that that Ohio State would be viewed differently than somebody else, sure. and that's not sure. right. And if you lose, you lose. But if you're if you're one of those one of those select teams, if you lose, if you do, even if you do lose, it's due to some kind of accident, and uh, and doesn't necessarily even even move the needle that much. So I, I think this this is uh, you know Ohio State's supposed to have a great team. I'm sure they do. But I mean, you know, things happen. What if? What if uh, what if Justin Fields gets hurt first game or or whatever? But anyway, whatever I think doesn't matter, and I'm convinced that 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 if it's Ohio State, and probably if it was Michigan uh, or Penn State, uh, if they go if they go nine and zero, they're getting the playoff, and they might get in at eight and one. Yeah. 
Uh, Wisconsin would be the other one because of Barry Alvarez's influence yeah. at the national right. level. But, uh, Philip, next up, uh, let's jump into to Auburn and the SEC and, and talk a little bit about that. The coaches all SEC preseason team came out. I'd love to see these through the years and see some of the, the – I'd love to – I think a great story would be the worst picks ever to be, to be preseason all SEC that, that didn't pan out. But for Auburn, uh, two guys on the first team, Big Cat Bryant, defensive end, uh, and K.J. Britt, linebacker, returning first team all SEC selection. Second team selection, Bert Arias Ham, offensive tackle, interesting pick. Uh, third team uh, – excuse me, with, uh, with Bo Nix – uh, the quarterback receiver Seth Williams and Christian Tut, the defensive back return man, all being third team selections. So six total guys on the three teams. Not bad. Not you know Alabama led the league as you would expect with eleven representatives. Six isn't bad for Auburn. Uh, what did they, what did they get right with these Auburn guys, and what did they get wrong? Just in your estimation, it's hard. It's uh, you know certainly I wouldn't argue with KJ Britt. Uh, I mean he's a returning all SEC guy. You just about got to put him on the first team. Uh, I, I do think Big Cat Bryant certainly is 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 the is a, has that kind of talent. I'm not sure he's has has performed at that level to date. Uh, he certainly can. Uh, uh, I think a guy that got totally overlooked in, in this is is Jamie and Sherwood, who I think is is going to be one of the very best safeties out there. Is going to be a high draft pick. Uh, uh, yeah, I like that. But, I like that call. Yeah. But I don't know, uh, you know, there's the thing about these teams. All these coaches, they're worried about COVID-19, and they're trying to figure out how to, how to have a different kind of preseason camp than they've ever had. How many of them do you think uh, sat down and pondered and took an hour or so or 30 minutes or so or five minutes or so to vote on that OSCC team? I'm I'm betting zero out of fourteen. Yeah, that's 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 if the coaches vote. That's if the coach actually did it himself to begin with, right? Right. I don't think any of them did. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, but uh, uh, some interesting picks, though. I got to ask you. You know, you're, I know you're hearing a lot of good things about Bradarius Ham. I love the kid going back to his recruitment. Just God, he's like a big teddy bear off the field. He's such a engaging and warmth personality. He's been through so many hurdles. Uh, it's a hell of a story, Philip. Um, but but but. I don't believe he started a game yet. So that's that's an interesting one. He hasn't. He, he played, but he hasn't. Uh, he played 70-some-odd snaps last year. That's uh, how many he played. I think 78. I'm, hmm. Don't hold me to that. It's not a lot. That's not a lot, Philip. Look, everybody who – every player you ever talk to, coaches, they think he's going to be a great player. But, again, he hasn't, he hasn't had an opportunity to show that. So – so I don't know if you're a coach voting. There's a pretty good chance you never played against Broderius Ham. Uh, so I don't know. That, that's that, you know, these things are good for good good conversation. Just like preseason polls, they're good conversation. They don't really mean much. All right, Philip. Before we get on to our next topic, we got to pay some bills. Let's go to this commercial break, and we'll be right back. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. All right, Philip, uh, I've been watching coaches' shows, coaches' weekly shows, 
since I was a kid. Bobby Bowden, Charlie Pell, Howard Schnellenberger, all the way to today. And it seems like if you were to log the question that was asked the most over my lifetime of, of watching these shows, the last 30 plus years, it would be, Coach, why don't we throw to the tight end more? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so now today, hey, I go to our site. We got two stories on the tight ends, okay? So, I, you know, that's what you get because that's who they gave you, John Samuel Schenker. But it does, you know, open up the possibility to get you to start thinking, okay, I've heard a lot that they're going to throw to the tight ends. Chad Morse, that's always been his MO, throwing to the tight end. Is, are, are we going to see it? I'm putting you on the spot right now. Is Auburn yes. going, going to throw to the tight end a lot this year? Yes. Yes, yes they will. Um, I believe. I think they'll throw to the tight end. I think they'll throw to the running backs. I think that uh, – uh, and I'm gonna tell you what, the one that was interviewed today, John Samuel Schinker, he, he's he's a pretty good receiver. Now he is not the athlete that those young guys are. Yeah. And uh, that he talked about today. Uh JJ P- Pegues and uh Frazier. Uh and uh, um, so that's gonna be interesting. But yeah, I believe they I believe they will. Uh but you're right. I mean, the cure to all ills is throwing the ball to the tight end and playing the backup quarterback. That's uh if, those two things will solve everything on offense for everybody. <laughs> you know, Philip always, always has been that way. I don't know, Philip, if I can recall uh, uh, too many teams that have had just about every kind of tight end on the roster. You got the yeah. guys that can stretch the field. Then you've got the jumbo athlete. Uh, then you've got the kind of guy that can do a little bit of everything like Schenker. You've got the young kid, Brandon Frazier, who's just massive, 6'7", 268 or something like that, and, and can, can you know, go downfield, go up large catch radius. Uh, Luke Deal, I mean, Luke Deal was playing a lot last year at the end of the year, man. I mean, he's out there a lot against Bama, if my memory was correct. Yeah, he, um, he, they, they like him. I so mean, he, that's it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I, I think part of uh, Chad Morris's M.O. is, uh, is to uh, – have guys out there that you don't know you don't know until they come out until they get there what where they're going to line up they might line up and and yeah and that and that was going to be my question is it it, okay so if you're putting in luke deal does the other team know what you're going to do because you're putting in luke deal that would be you know you'd you'd, would you rather have a guy that's kind of more jackknife guys that can do everything you know Uh, Uh, because i've heard you guys talk about substitutions before and Maybe that tips off defenses, or is it? You know, you tell me. I'm just trying to get a feel for this position well, group. Well, I don't know. Uh, I think that uh, uh, obviously, I think everybody'd rather have uh, Gronkowski or somebody like that that's about six, seven, and two hundred eighty pounds and runs like a wide receiver. That's yeah. <laughs> that's what you're looking for. Well, but, uh, well, okay, let me. Well, maybe uh, I should phrase it. Do they feel like they've got? From what you've heard, how do the what does the staff feel like they've got in this tight ends group? I think they think they got a lot of some really talented guys and that, that haven't played uh, for the most part, uh, except for John Stinker and 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 Dale a little bit. Uh, I think that uh, uh, he I, from what from what he has said and what Gus has said that he is, sometimes he plays one tight end, sometimes he plays two tight ends. So. I guess if you play two tight ends, you'd probably one of them would be going to play like a real tight end, but then maybe they won't. So I, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be, 
it's going to be interesting to see. And, they, and they, you know, they're going to throw more to the running backs as well, they say. so. Oh, I agree with that. I think they have to. I, I think, I, you know, again, I've, I've probably told you and bored other people with this. But I've, I've kind of – look, I'm not a coach, Philip. You're not either. But we try to guess. And, you know, that's, that's kind of part of the fun of being a fan too. But I've, I've watched some of these old 19, 1980s SEC games with some of the teams that threw to the running backs and tight ends a lot. And it's interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see. I, I mean, I'm really fascinated to see how they use all these all these pieces. My question to you, back to these tight ends, though, which one are you most intrigued by? For me, it was Frazier, but I think I know what he is. So I, I have an expectation. I'm really intrigued by J.J. Pegues because, I think, yeah, that's, yeah that's I mean, is he going to line up in the Wildcat? Is he going to be a fullback at times? Is he going to be – are you going to put him out wide? I mean, I've seen the guy's film, and you know, he's hard to tackle, so – which He's one really intrigues you? Guy. Frazier is a is a prototypical NFL kind of tight end, uh, body wise. Uh, I mean, really tall and and uh, but Pegues is that's that's a different deal. And uh, I don't know, I, you know, when he signed, uh, Gus talked about about that he might play wildcat and he could do all these things at three hundred pounds and. Uh, and John Schenker talked today about him doing things that he that you just don't see tight ends do. So uh, that's going to be that's going to be a very very interesting thing to see. And uh, uh, Gus mentioned then the, uh, the Wildcat, uh, the possibility of him playing in the Wildcat. That's a three hundred pound Wildcat quarterback. That's uh, <laughs> I'd be interesting. I'd be interesting to watch. But uh, yeah, it's going to be. You know, it's uh, it's going to be really interesting because they got these unique kind of guys, but they haven't played, so uh, you don't know. And uh, it's going to be if, if the if I'll say this: if the tight end, unless the tight ends they have can't get open, then they'll they're going to throw the tight end. I'm convinced of that. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see JJ Pegues where he lines up. Can can people tackle him? Uh, would he be the first 300-pounder to take a snap in the SEC since Jared Lorenzen? <laughs> yeah. uh, is he going to be – a? I mean, we're, do you a tackle eligible, which is interesting because he's not really an offensive lineman. I mean, I, 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 look, I'm, I'm, I'm confusing myself here because I'm so intrigued by all the possibilities with him. Now, Philip, let's go to the class of 28. You had a story about how they – the class of – the recruiting class of 2018 – excuse me, not 2028 – 2018 for Auburn. Uh, how all, you know, all their goals are still in front of them. But I look back to that class, it actually was uh, – people may not remember this. It was Gus Malzahn's lowest-ranked class, I believe, since he's been uh, at Auburn at number 12, but actually third in the SEC. So, you know, sometimes you're seventh in the country and fifth in the SEC. But right. 12th overall, but you look at the four highest-ranked guys, Joey Gatewood, now at Kentucky. Matthew Hill was a receiver, now playing defensive back. Hasn't really broke through yet in his career. Connus Miller, defensive tackle, no longer on the team. Harold Joyner, running back, hasn't really broken through. Uh, so those are your first four guys. Then after that, you got Smoke Monday. This is just an order of their ranking. Smoke Monday, big impact in the honorable, obviously, Anthony Schwartz, Seth Williams, Jacoby McClain, uh, Asa Mart, no longer with the team. Then, But then Jamie and Sherwood and Christian Tut. Uh, uh, some misses, some a guy, a lot of guys not on the team anymore, but a lot of guys that are, and they're making an impact, Philip. Right. Well, and you, you didn't mention Roger McCreary. That's know. right. I didn't get down that far. Uh, Lowest ranked guy in the not, class. Yeah. That's not a. I, I, far be it from me to, uh, to to question things, but when I see a guy that runs runs as fast as he does, 
and and literally played every skill position in high school, every single one. Yeah. Quarterback, wide receiver, running back. Uh, I wonder why he was a three star. I'm gonna but, forward, uh, I'm gonna forward your concerns to Bart Simmons. Yeah. He is a terrific player, and uh, uh, Jamie and Sherwood, as I mentioned earlier, I think he is. He, he is potentially a great player. Uh, obviously, Zacoby McLean is, is a really good player. They, yeah, you're right. They, they're missing some of the, I think most recruiting classes have some Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, but I think that they've got a lot of the impact. They this, this class has a lot of guys that have a real chance to be impact players this season. Well, let's tell you, I told you about some of the misses. Here are the, here are the makes. Here are the guys that they made. Aaron Sipos, lowest-ranked guy in the class. Now, you know, uh, terrific punter. Roger McCreary, starting corner. Uh, Shedrick Jackson, receiver. Sean Shivers, Iron Bowl hero. Daquan Newkirk, going to be starting at defensive tackle. Christian Tutt, Jamie and Sherwood, like we said, Jacoby McLean, Seth Williams, Anthony Schwartz, Smoke Monday. And then, uh, you know, obviously guys like you know, Harold Joyner, Matthew Hill, Caleb Johnson, their stories have yet to be written. They're, they're still – and same with Daquan Newkirk, quite frankly. They're still trying to uh, – Cameron yeah. Stutz is another one. These are young guys. Uh, you know, in the old days, Philip, you remember, gosh, some, this is their third year. Some of these guys are veterans. That, you know, it wasn't that long ago. You were in your third year. You were a third-year redshirt uh, sophomore. You were still fighting to get in the starting lineup. So these days people tend to write guys off if they haven't contributed in their first couple of years. That's a mistake. I think they're some oh, of these younger guys. definitely a mistake. Yeah, I think some of these younger guys we're going to see some more from too. I think you even see them write people off they don't contribute their very first year. Uh, yeah, that's right. But uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know – I think sometimes we get a skewed view here of uh, recruiting rankings. Uh, if, if you go read national recruiting stories, if it's somebody else that finishes 12th, they'll be talking about what a great year they had and how they made a move and all this stuff. But if you finished 12th and you're an SEC team, like you said, you might be 12th in the nation and seventh in the country. And if you're Auburn, you're probably in the, in the same state with somebody who finished first or second. So, uh, uh, but to me, uh, what, what constitutes a good recruiting class is impact players. I think that, uh, uh, and that class, seemed, well, it, had, it had numerous guys who seem to have a chance to be impact players and some that have already been. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. In fact, I was just going to say, you kind of stole my thunder there, difference makers. So who are your difference makers in that class? Well, yeah, obviously, uh, Anthony Schwartz, Seth Williams, Zacoby McLean, Jamie and Sherwood, uh, and maybe Daquan Newkirk. I mean, some other guys, yeah. But maybe, uh, maybe Newkirk, Daquan Newkirk. Newkirk. If Newkirk can stay healthy. Yeah. I mean, he is a, he is a very big, very powerful, very athletic man. And if, yeah. if, he, can, if he can stay healthy then I think he's going to be he's going to be an impact player. But and by the way, very to do that. Sorry, very smart guy too. Having yeah. gotten to know him many times, yeah, yeah, much through the years. And he was a guy that really didn't push himself academically in high school. But once he started committing himself in the classroom, you you always knew when you're having conversations with him. And I actually went to Mississippi uh, Gulf Coast Community College to do stuff with him. And uh, yeah, I've known him since high school. He's a uh, one of the more intelligent guys on the team. So. Uh, we wish him well, obviously, in 2020. Now, Philip, before we get to our 
last topic, we got to pay some more bills. We're going to go to one more commercial break and we'll be right back. This is Sandra Oreda from Attacking Third, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Golasso Network dedicated to all things women's soccer. With the NWSL expanding to 14 teams, the 2024 season promises to be bigger and better than ever, and Attacking Third will be along for the ride from start to finish. Before that, though, we'll be all over the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, where the U.S. Women's National Team is looking to clinch silverware on home soil. We'll also be keeping tabs on the winter transfer window, the Women's Super League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, and elsewhere. Coming to you multiple times a week with game previews, recaps, analysis, breaking news, exclusive interviews, and more, Attacking Third is your one-stop shop for the best coverage of the women's game. Download, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe to Attacking Third. All right, welcome back to the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Keith Niebuhr here from Auburn Undercover and 24-7 Sports, joined by Philip Marshall of Auburn Undercover. And uh, before we get into this final topic, I just want to say, make sure you you rate this podcast at Apple iTunes. Uh, they tell us that's important. It's all about these algorithms and a high rating gets people, uh, gets the, the podcast a little more notoriety, more people go see it. And uh, it's good for us, basically. So we appreciate it if you can do that. And uh, we'll keep pumping these out. Philip, last topic, nobody ever wants to talk about kickers. It seems like I write these kicker stories every couple of years because, you know, obviously Auburn doesn't sign many of them. And you look at the traffic numbers, and they're never as high, clearly, as, uh, you know, like a quarterback, for instance, a quarterback story, but really anybody. Uh, but then the guy struggles, and, and you never hear the end of it. But Anders Carlson, after some struggles long range last year, really Really turned it on late, made his last six field goals, was 4-4 in the Iron Bowl, all of them 40-plus yards. He had the 52-yarder at the end of the first half. I mean, there were so many heroes in that game, and he certainly was one of them. And then you've got the great story of the parents, their ties to Alabama, which added so much to it. Uh, His mother once working for Bear Bryant, and then obviously his brother was an All-American kicker at Auburn as well. Uh, You know, you've interviewed Anders a lot uh, the last few years, can you tell? I mean, I would. I saw him after the Iron Bowl last year, just walking in and in around campus. He just—he's. You'd never know that he was even on the football team. He's such a reserved guy. He's always got a smile on his face. But after that Iron Bowl, he looked a little bit more confident than I'd ever seen him before. He was yeah. feeling good about himself. I think finally, he's very much like his brother. Uh, Fantastic kids. Yeah, very, very much so. And Deacon Jones, their grandfather, I spent. I spent a half a day when I was doing a story on Daniel. I spent half a day at Deacon's house vi- visiting with him and, and him t- telling me his stories about all the things he had done to support the Alabama program. And uh, and it, it, even then, he, he, he referred to Daniel as turncoat. Because uh, <laughs> Daniel was a huge Alabama fan. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, but of course, he's, he was he was thrilled for Daniel, and I didn't talk to him again after that. But I'm sure he was thrilled for Anders too. But who uh, uh, he told me that day, by the way, that Anders had a stronger leg than Daniel did. And uh, uh, you know, Daniel's kind of uh, seminal moment was in the Outback Bowl his redshirt freshman year when he he claimed the field goal to force a second overtime off the right upright, and uh, he he. He, he said that he had difficult – it was difficult for him to deal with with, with that – with failing in that situation, but that it it helped him going forward. And I think that uh, – uh, 
Anders kind of had his time when, for whatever reason, I mean, he couldn't, he went through a stretch where he just could not make a long field goal. And, uh, and obviously it's not lack of leg strength. It's just, I guess it's kind of like, uh, all you golfers, something you just lose your stroke somehow. But, uh, but I think the Alabama game was a huge moment for him. And, uh, uh, he said his goal is to be the best kicker in the country. And I think he's probably got a chance to do that. You know, Philip, we should point out, he's also, I, I don't know what his grade point average is and, and Anders, uh, I, I still call, yeah, I, but I, I, he's in that aviation program or uh, at Auburn and, uh, I believe, if my memory's right, he's already got a job with Delta, doesn't he? I mean, I think that's the case. That he's, I believe so. So he's become very good friends with Nick Brahms, who you and I know right. well. And you and I both know Nick's dad really well. In fact, a lot of people uh, know Nick's dad has been a travel buddy of mine uh, on a couple of European trips. Just a fun dude to, to be around. Great family, the Brahms family. Yeah, but, I, I don't hold that against him. Well, that's but, right. You uh, shouldn't. Oh, God, you ought to hear, you ought to hear some of <laughs> You know how we have this no politics rule on the board? Well, we kind of have a deal where we only are allowed to talk politics here and there on the road trips. We couldn't be further up. I mean, there's some real heated arguments here. But anyway, <laughs> I mentioned I mentioned uh, Nick Brahms' father because he obviously, uh, some people know, is a pilot for Delta. The 777 uh, flies those long hauls to places like Singapore. Philip, I know you've hung out there many times. Uh, South Africa. I'm just but, afraid they wouldn't let me leave. <laughs> no, that's the problem. Uh, well, and then, uh, but, but uh, Anders and Nick Brahms in that uh, that aviation program at Auburn, I believe they both already have jobs with Delta. And, you know, Philip, a former kicker at Auburn, uh, oh gosh, I'm, <laughs> uh, Ian Shannon, I, the name slipped me. He was in that same program and he's not oh. flying. He's now a pilot. But Anders, uh, just a bright kid. And it's funny that he is a pilot because his career has really taken off after that iron ball. Nice, boring segue there. But uh, Philip, you got to have a unique mindset to be a kicker. You got to be like a, a starting pitcher almost in the major leagues because you got to be able to knock that home run that you just gave up. It's got to, you got to remove it from your brain as quickly as possible. And boy, that kicker, man, those guys, I mean, it's, Philip, how many times have you been on the sideline where a guy missed an easy kick or any kind of kick of consequence in a game? And you just, I mean, your heart just, it's hard enough watching it on TV. And many times you and I have been down on the field 20 feet away from a guy who looks like he's about to jump off of the cliffs of Moore in Ireland. I mean, right. these poor guys. But, um, but you know, I, you know. I thank those guys. And, and uh, I, I, well, I'll tell you a quick story, Keith. Uh, yeah. In 1990, when I worked for the Montgomery Advertiser, I, I did the, the Skyriders tour that was no more, and I did a driving tour of the SEC. And, uh, uh, and when I got to LSU, which was my last stop, I walked in Mike Archer's office and he was watching video on his computer and he was watching it and he, he, he looked up, he said, I'll be with you in just a minute. And he would run it back and he would laugh. And then he'd run it back again and he would laugh. And finally he turned off and looked at me and said, we made the kickers hit today. <laughs> well it, it's it's always fun every every team has a kicker you know this every team's got a kicker that looks like mr olympia the, 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 yeah. the jacked up bodybuilder type kicker well, it's a it's a much yeah. different deal now now even than it was then uh, yeah it's, it's much more much more advanced yeah auburn had a kicker in 97 that kicked the field goal to beat alabama jared holmes who, who got in trouble uh, when he was in junior college because he uh, 
he kicked off and and he got he got a cheap shot, got blindsided, and and then chased the guy all the way back down to the goal line after the, that hit him. <laughs> he was gonna catch oh, wow. him and kick the rear end. <laughs> no, no, it's time for me to put you on the spot one more time here. Anders right. Anders Cross, he's got two seasons left. Yeah. Well, gosh, three maybe. I three mean, who knows, years. right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, if your guest mouth's on, don't you beg them. Anders, have you ever thought about this graduate program that Auburn has? And, uh, you know, what? you'd be great for it. You'd be great. But uh, Anders Crossan, theoretically, tech, uh, we think maybe two seasons left before he goes off uh, to greener pa- the greener pastures of, of the green of the NFL. Uh, but is he going to be an all-SEC player? What's your, what's your guess? I say yes. I think, yeah, I think, I think he ends I, his I career think, as an all-SEC player. I think his – I think his his track at Albert is going to look very similar to his brother's. That's what I think. All right. Uh, I think that uh, now he won't have as many field goals. He's not going to break the SEC record for scoring uh, like Daniel did. But of course, Daniel kicked kicked for four years. Of course, he can too. But but uh, yeah, I think I think he's going to be that caliber. Now there might be somebody else that does. Sure. It's just sure. as good and. I don't know, but uh, oh, you never know who's going to have that special season too. Just but the, here's, here's yeah. the thing to me about that I, impresses me the most. Really, not just kickers. Any anybody that's playing any competitive sport, if you can be at your best when it matters the most, because uh, that's got to be hard. Whether you're a kicker or a quarterback or 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 whatever you are, to say, okay, this is on me. And I saw, you know, Keith, the guy that ended up at Florida, Robert McGinney, uh, who missed the 42-yard field goal to beat Alabama in 1984, and he he was not he was at Florida in 1985. Uh, he did he couldn't he couldn't handle it. And he's a great guy, great guy. He's a Facebook friend. He's a, he's a he's a good guy, but uh, it was uh, it was just too much. And uh, uh, and I knew there was another Auburn kicker uh, named Matt Hawkins who missed the field goal to beat Georgia in 1994. Uh, the game ended in a tie. And and he said he literally had an emotional breakdown because of it. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's a heavy, heavy load to carry. And, uh, and I think players now – I don't know how much sympathy, to be honest with you, Robert McGinney got after he from his teammates after he missed that field goal against Alabama. But I think I think players now empathize more with with kickers than they than they once did, and uh, and I, I think that that kickers are more. I don't want to say they ever weren't part of the team, but they are viewed more just like another guy now than they used to be, and. Uh, um, so it's a it's tough, but I, I think that that's that's why experience matters. The more experience you got, the better chance you got to to be ready in those situations. Uh, hey, if I'd been if I'd been West Byram and I got, even though it was an extra point length field goal, and I got to kick a field goal to win the national championship, I'd have probably fainted right there on the field. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would have fainted. I think they would have been they would have had to give me a new pair of pants. Yeah. But, um, well, all right, Philip. Great stuff, man. We appreciate you spending your Thursday night chatting with me. We're uh, clearly we don't have much going on in our personal lives. Actually, you're married. You've got a lot going on. I'm sitting here down in Florida with my mother watching barnyard builders four hours a day. 
Uh, well, Philip, thanks again, man. We appreciate it. For Philip Marshall, this is Keith Niebuhr with Auburn Undercover, and we appreciate you all stopping by to listen to the Auburn Undercover podcast. Take care, everybody. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.